Hello everyone, welcome to the Scripture Dive for Acts chapter 4. If you've been joining us for the first three chapters, we've been having fantastic discussion, explaining context and some spiritual application of our Bible quizzing verses for this year. Today we've got Avery with us again, Mr. Swank from California, we've got Eric from Louisiana, and as a guest today we have Annalise Delgado from California. Thank you, Annalise, for joining us. Um... We are really excited to dive into Acts chapter 4. If you've been following, we like to go through the chapter, um, go through the whole chapter beginning to end, explain some context, and then at the end we do some nerdy quizzing stuff, we explain some pronouns, we talk about some interesting charting, and we might uh, tell a quiz story or two at the end. So it's good to have everyone and we're ready to get started. Eric, uh, will you please explain the, uh, the, the setting, the opening setting of this chapter? Yeah, sure thing. So um, if you're watching on YouTube, I'm going to share my screen real quick as a quick little visual I have. If you're following along on the podcast, you might want to go to YouTube for this segment just to kind of get the visual of what I'm talking about. Um, so this right here is a depiction of the temple. Acts chapter three and Acts chapter four is set in this same setting. So there's two gates that are mentioned um, or that are depicted in this this picture. There's the Nicanor Gate, which is right here. And then there's the Shuzan Gate, which is right here outside of Solomon's porch. A lot of scholars actually debate over which one is the beautiful gate of the temple. I believe that most lean more toward the Nicanor Gate, which would have been closer to the actual temple itself. But there are some people who, who think it's the Shuzan Gate as well. Um, Solomon's Porch, which is referred to, I believe, in Acts chapter 3, and in Acts chapter 5, also sometimes called Solomon's Colonnade, is right here um, by the Shuzan Gate. And it's kind of the common, the common place where a lot of the temple attendants would have gathered. And there was actually the marketplace here as well. So it's a really big hustle and bustling part of Jerusalem. And a lot of people would have been gathered together to go to the temple at the hour of prayer whenever the lame man was going, was, was going to be healed. Thanks, Eric. Um, and today we're excited. Uh, Annalise is going to read for us and explain her uh, her perspective on the verses, and then we'll get the conversation started. So, Annalise. Yes, sounds good. Thank you so much once again for having me. It truly is an honor to be here tonight. So uh, to start off, uh, we're in Acts chapter 4. Uh, we have Peter and John, and they just witnessed the healing. There is many people that are around in that area. And so now the hustle and bustle is all about the aftermath of the healing of um, this lame man. So starting with um, chapter four, verses one through four, it reads, now as they spoke to the people, the priests, the captain of the temple and the Sadducees came upon them, being greatly disturbed that they taught the people and preached in Jesus the resurrection from the dead. And they laid hands on them and put them in custody until the next day, for it was already evening. However, many of those who heard the word believed and the number of the men came to be about 5,000. And so just giving a little bit of, the context, as we just mentioned before, the layman, he was just healed. And so it was a huge deal uh, for the priest, captain of the temple and the Sadducees, uh, because they were rejecting of this because it was considered to be blasphemous teaching. And we're going to understand why um, it was such a big deal. It was all about Jesus um, being the authority and the power that they were coming in. And so that is what was making it such a huge deal. And that is why uh, they were arrested. And so... Um, as seen in verse two, 
It says being greatly disturbed that they taught the people and preached in Jesus the resurrection from the dead. And so verse two proves um, why was it such a big deal? And so in verses five and so forth, we're going to understand um, what was the repercussions of them speaking in the name of Jesus. And I would say that um, yet despite the contrary uproar, many were moved by the miracle of the layman of 40 years. And that's what we see in verse four. However, many of those who heard the word believed and the number of the men came to be about 5,000. So even though those that technically had more power, there were still so many that were touched. And I would say the application that we can draw from that is that um, we have to understand that when God uses us, there's going to be two crowds that are attracted. There's going to be those that persecute. And in Matthew chapter 10, verse 22, it talks about how we're going to be persecuted for his name's sake. And um, we, we see um, the repercussions and what can come of preaching under the power and authority of Jesus. Not just God, because some people, many people say they believe in God. But it's when you insert the name of Jesus that you're going to see that pushback. And so with that, we're going to be persecuted and there's going to be that crowd that comes against us. But there's also going to be those that believe. And there's those that are going to be intrigued that are going to want to know more about, hey, so what is this, you know, Jesus you speak of? What does it mean to be apostolic? All of that. So we have to not allow what comes against us to overshadow the greatness of miracles, signs and wonders that follow us. And being able to um, be encouraged by that, kind of looking at it as a glass half half full sort of mentality, but in the spirit. That's good. I really like um, kind of piggybacking on what you're talking about, Annalise. You know, the Sadducees, they were a group of people. They really were more of a political group than a religious group um, at the time. You know, they were really connected with the Roman government. And they had a lot of different odd theological views that Peter and John were kind of um, coming against and denying, right? With this, this lame man being healed. Um, they didn't believe in the resurrection, right? Yeah. And verse two kind of talks about them being grieved about that because that, that was their whole message, right? Was that mm-hmm. Jesus was resurrected from the dead. They didn't believe in any type of afterlife. They also didn't believe in angels or demons, We know that from Acts 23, verse eight. And I think um, that's very telling, like for our our movement today in the 21st century, you know, there's a lot of people that deny the spirit. They deny the work of the spirit, gifts of healing, gifts of miracles. But like you're saying, even in the midst of all that opposition, right, God's giving us a great harvest of souls. God's still pouring out a spirit upon all flesh. And we're still seeing revival despite the opposition and despite the theological um, claims that are being made against us. It's like the first century apostles, you know. Exactly. Yeah. One thing that I also found kind of interesting about this passage was that you kind of talked about it earlier, but when Peter first preached on the day of Pentecost, he was talking to the people that were hearing the people, the multitude that was wondering what is going on in this situation. And Peter basically responded with, the truth that you guys were the ones that crucified Jesus, you know, um, let all the house of Israel know that God hath made the same Jesus whom you have crucified, both Lord and Christ. You know, he was calling them out. But what's interesting is a lot of those people probably were involved or knew about the crucifixion of Jesus or maybe even approved of it. But in this instance, they are talking to the men that probably literally crucified Jesus because the Sadducees, the 
priests, the ones in the temple, the higher ups in the Jewish religion, they were the ones that literally put Jesus to death. And we're going to find in this chapter later that Peter even goes further and tells them, Peter kind of starts preaching to him again. He's like, you crucified this guy, you know, and that's probably why they're pushing back towards it again, because this guy that we just killed, Peter's saying he's alive now. What does that mean for us? You know, so I find it kind of interesting and kind of funny in a way that the Sadducees and everybody that crucified Jesus are reacting in this way, because, you know, not only are they, like you said, Annalise, not only are they thinking that it's, you know, blasphemous in a way that Jesus, that they're looking at Jesus as God, but they're also like, oh, what if he is God and we crucified him, you know? (laughs) All right, Logan, anything? I was just going to recap uh, the number that was added to the church, and not that I'm going to recap the church is all about numbers, that's not what I'm trying to say, but the power that is demonstrated through them preaching the name of Jesus, even despite the persecution, there was still the 5,000 added to the church. Mm-hmm. And it just goes to tell me and tell us that are in the church, yes, persecution may come, and yes, afflictions may arise, and we may go through certain things, but Peter and John learn, and we'll find out later on in this chapter, but Peter and John, their faith remained remained true. Their faith remained steadfast and steady no matter what. And the crowd responded to that and understood that, which then resulted in 5,000 of them being converted no matter what the situation became for Peter and John. They saw the persecution. They saw what what was happening. But at the same time, they also knew there's truth to this. Something inside me is, is needing this and is responding to this. So despite the persecution and despite the afflictions, I'm still going to believe and trust in God. And that's just a testament to us that if persecutions and afflictions do arise, stay true to your faith and God will work the rest out. God is always faithful and God will remain faithful to you no matter what. And I don't want to belabor that point, but I also find the number 5,000 significant because it reminds me of the the group of people that Jesus fed with the five loaves and the two fishes. And we see this pattern throughout all of the book of Acts that the disciples pick up where Jesus left off in his earthly ministry. You know, they're continually, they're continuing in that example that Jesus left. So just as he fed the 5,000, just as he did a miracle for the 5,000 and shed the bread, the physical bread, you know, Peter and John are giving the bread of life to all of these men which is Jesus. They're preaching Jesus. They're preaching the resurrection of the dead salvation. And um, they're just preaching Jesus. So there's also that element that we can pick up where Jesus left off. You know, everything that Jesus did is available for us in our own earthly ministries as well. So. Awesome. Thanks guys. Let's, uh, let's get started um, on the, on the next passage. Okay. Uh, starting with verse five, and then we're going to go all the way to verse 12. It says, and it came to pass on the next day that their rulers, elders, and scribes, as well as Annas, the high priest, Cephas, John, and Alexander, and as many as were of the family of the high priest were gathered together at Jerusalem. And when they had set them in the midst, they asked, by what power or by what name have you done this? Then Peter, filled with the Holy Spirit, said to them, rulers of the people and elders of Israel, if we see that at this day, If we this day are judged for a good deed done to a helpless man, by what means he has been made well, let it be known to you all and to all the people of Israel that by the name of Jesus Christ of Nazareth, whom you crucified, whom God raised from the dead, by him this man stands here before you whole. This is the stone which was rejected by you builders, which has become the chief cornerstone. 
nor is there salvation in any other name, for there is no other name under heaven given among men whereby we must be saved. And we all know verse 12, that's one of my favorites for sure. <laughs> and if anyone ever wants to argue about oneness, like that is something that I always give like my kids and stuff or the youth at our church. I'm like, just go for that verse <laughs> and it'll just save you a whole lot of time if you don't feel like getting into a big debate about the name of Jesus. And so in verse seven is where um, they're asking by what power or by what name have you done this? So in other words, this just means like, by what authority are you coming in? And so that's basically what they're questioning them about because they're like, well, you came in here with some boldness and what makes you think that, you know, you can come that way. And so when they speak, okay, this is all about Jesus. That's where we see the turn of events. And we're really going to get into the heat of that in verses 13 through 22. So the next passage, but um, what I really appreciated was in verse nine through 10, it says, um, this is Peter talking. And this is, I think it was Avery that brought this up of how he was saying, Hey, this is, you know, the Jesus that you guys um, crucified. This is, you know, he's giving this whole dissertation and he's describing, you know, this is him. (laughs) And so in that, I really feel like Peter, he demonstrated uh, the principle of Romans 116. That's really what jumped out to my head about, for I'm not ashamed of the gospel of Christ. And we understand that Peter, he is very bold, very impulsive. And so, you know, that works against him when he was denying and to the point of cursing Jesus. But we see how God, he uses um, that for the good as well. When we sacrifice ourselves, when we turn ourselves to him, how God can use our personalities um, to exemplify his kingdom. And so that's what I really liked about how Peter was addressing uh, the Sanhedrin. And so also in verse 11, it refers to the chief cornerstone. And so I really like how Peter expounded on that because he didn't just say, he started with, this is the stone which was rejected by you builders. So it's kind of like a a minimalized version, but then he says, but this is actually the chief cornerstone, basically the foundation and trying to make them understand the severity of what they've done and who they're coming against. And so I really appreciated that, but also how this is, Drawing all the way back, because that's a verse in Psalm 118, verses 21 through 22. That's where it's taken from. So that just proves also how he was the same yesterday, today, forever. In the beginning was the word, the word of God, you know, word was God, word became flesh. And so it's kind of bringing it all together of how Jesus is not just this man that walked on the earth. This isn't just a prophet, but this is, you know, the king of kings, God manifest in the flesh. And so trying to get them to understand the magnitude of uh, what was at hand and who they're coming against. And so in verse 12, um, he kind of wraps it all up of there is not even salvation in any other. So it's not just a man, but this is the one that's going to redeem you. This is the one. So that's what I really um, gained from this chapter. And I would say that um, as far as applying it to our personal lives, um, in the words of Peter, actually in first Peter three fifteen, be ready always to give an answer, uh, with meekness and fear. And he basically applied his own verse that he later, uh, writes about. And he gives that example of, okay, I will kind of put my money where my mouth is. And this is me doing that. And so that's what we can do is we have to take ownership of what we believe. I'm someone that's like a little bit more like, you know, on the mild side, when it comes to like speaking out, I'll be like, okay, you know, I'll listen to you and stuff. But it does get to a point 
where it's like, okay, I have to say something. We can't, we have to test the spirit. We have to test certain situations. We can't always, you know, just speak out and pop off and stuff. We have to have wisdom. It's the principal thing, but we all, we can't be ashamed. We have to take ownership of, yes, I'm a Christian, but not just a Christian. I believe in the name of Jesus. Amen. Yeah, that's awesome. I, uh, I like the whole, um, like draw Peter going back to that verse in Psalms talking about how Jesus is the chief mm -hmm. cornerstone. Uh, it kind of reminds me of when Jesus was actually talking to Peter, uh, back in the gospels, when Peter is like, you are the Christ, the son of the living God, you know? And mm -hmm. then Jesus tells Peter, he's like, upon this rock, I will build my church. You know, the gates of hell shall not prevail against it. So this rock, the revelation that Jesus is the Christ, the son of God, God manifests in the flesh is what the church is literally built on. You know, Jesus himself is the chief cornerstone of the church of the people of God. So Peter is talking to people that view themselves as the people of God, as the leaders of the people of God, the religious leaders. And in a way, not, not only is he really showing the identity of Jesus and being the chief cornerstone, but he's also looking at them and saying, you guys think you're this way, but in reality, you're rejecting, you're the builders that are rejecting the chief cornerstone of this building. You know, if you take the chief cornerstone out of the building, the whole building is going to crumble. Mm -hmm. So Peter is basically like, you guys are a part of a falling building. You know, you're taking the chief cornerstone out of the whole fit the whole frame the whole foundation of everything that's holding this thing together it's basically saying you know you guys are trying to do the spiritual work of the church of the people of god without god <laughs> so you know yeah. peter is kind of really putting everything to, into perspective with these religious leaders and he's using you know eric we kind of talked about last week where peter was kind of talking to the jewish people in their own language he was using scripture he was using using the word to do it so you know, Jesus is the foundation of this thing, you know, and, and at least kind of to your point um, with just relating it back to our own lives. If Jesus is not at the center of everything that we do, it's like we're building our house, our foundation or our building on a faulty foundation. So. Yeah, I think, you know, similar to how Acts chapter three, Peter speaks forth the word very bold, boldly. He does the same in this passage, you know, and we get that description of Peter in verse number eight, whenever it calls him filled with the spirit, right? And this obviously isn't saying that, well, he received the spirit again, right? He received the spirit in Acts chapter two, but he allowed the spirit to work in this situation, right? To work out through him for him, for God to be able to speak forth his word. And so I think that's that's very that's a good description for us to look to attain, right? We've already received the Holy Spirit. Now we just have to let the Lord work through us in certain situations. You know, I think of that that passage in the Gospels that Jesus says the Holy Ghost will teach you the same hour what you ought to say. Peter, I mean, he's talking to these, as Avery mentioned, the same guys that was responsible for Jesus going to the cross. Jesus went before Annas and Caiaphas before he went to Calvary. And so, you know, humanly speaking, he shouldn't be speaking with this type of boldness. He almost has like a, a sarcasm in his voice whenever he says this we're, we're trying to give a defense for a good deed right that's done to this this lame man but he's able to speak forth that word with boldness 
even so much not just trying to give a defense that this that this Jesus was a good man, but he goes far beyond that and he says this is the only person that gives salvation, right? The only way that, that you can be saved is through Jesus Christ. And so he preaches like he did in Acts chapter 3 an exclusive gospel. And I think as I mentioned last week, you know, the gospel isn't this just pick whatever you want and you can be saved, right? It's that it's that John 14, 6, whenever Jesus says, I'm the only way, I'm the only truth, and I'm the only life. And there's no other, as Peter says in this passage, there's no other salvation but through, but through Jesus. And this whole chapter is actually, it's a really cool culmination again in the story of Peter. Because we see, even back in the Gospels, when Jesus was in his trial before his crucifixion, that Peter was also there. Peter was in the room when Jesus was being condemned by the Sanhedrin. And we know this because uh, it says in, I think it was Mark, Mark uh, chapter 14 lays it out a lot. But um, Peter is there, he's sitting by the fire and three different times, you know, people come up to him in that instance. They're like, hey, you were the guy that was with Jesus, right? And those three times he denies him, you know, he lets his flesh get. Um you know, obviously he doesn't want to be punished or go through, or go through this same treatment that Jesus is. So he kind of, you know, plays it low. He keeps himself on the DL. But on the complete 80 in this chapter, he is in the same place talking to the same people that were most likely there. But instead of denying who he was, and denying who Jesus was, he stands before them boldly and is like, no, you know, this Jesus whom you crucified is the Lord and the Christ, you know, so. If anything, the first few uh, chapters of Acts really show the story of Peter coming to a culmination, and it's really cool to see. So I love that. I think, you know, there's a description of Jesus in Mark chapter one, that whenever he's teaching the people, they start to follow him because it says that he spoke with boldness, right? And not as one of the scribes, you know? <laughs> and so I yeah. think it's the it's a very similar description with with Peter here. Right. You have these scribes that are kind of like scared of what's happening to to the to the people. Right. They're being stirred up. But here you have here, Peter, just like Jesus speaking forth the word with boldness. Logan, you got anything? There's nothing else I can add to that. That <laughs> is better than what the three of you have just said. I, I think the only note that I have is just the interesting thing that. Peter references the stone in verse 11 and then immediately confirms the stone being the name of Jesus. Um, and that being, that being where we find salvation, that being where we find all power given to me, that being where we have, or that name that gives us the ability, the power, the authority to claim, to proclaim, to proclaim healing, to ask for deliverance, to, um, anything that you may need, that stone being the name of Jesus, that 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 right there is powerful enough for this entire chapter. And this chapter has a lot of meat to it, but those two verses right there, Peter signifying the stone being Jesus, and then signifying that that stone being the name of Jesus, by whom there is no other, none other name under heaven whereby we must be saved. Amen. All right. Um, so, uh, Annalise. 
just uh, just so we're all um, on the same page, what uh, what version of the Bible are you reading from? Oh yeah, this one is <laughs> New King James. Okay, good. I just wanted uh, yeah. anyone listening to if they wanted to read along in exactly what you were saying. Um, is is the New King okay. James? Thanks. Sorry, I, I should have <laughs> yes. uh, I should have asked that before. Yeah, we have no problem. And with I actually the New was going to ask that too. So <laughs> <you're good. laughs> it is no problem at all. We just uh, it it did surprise me at first, but it's no big deal at all. We can uh, we can keep reading. So all right, let's let's uh, let's jump into the next passage. Okay, sounds good. So we're going to go from verse thirteen all the way to verse seventeen. And it reads, now when they saw the boldness, there's that word again, boldness of Peter and John and perceived that they were uneducated and untrained men, they marveled and they realized that they had been with Jesus. And seeing the man who had been healed standing with them, they could say nothing against it. I kind of want to stop right there because there's a lot just right in that section that I, it really jumped out to me because I read this chapter before, but really going verse by verse, you catch things that you never have ever thought of in detail. And what I really wanted to focus on was in verse 13, how it describes them to be, uh, they, they perceived that they were uneducated and untrained men. So that kind of was a diss in the way, in a way, mm-hmm. but then they followed it up with, and then they realized that they had been with Jesus. And it kind of, to me, what it made me think of was um, in Luke two verses um, 46 to 47, how Jesus, and also John chapter 13, verse 13, how Jesus, he tells them, yes, you can consider me rabbi. You can consider me teacher. And so anyone that follows after that, that's considered, you know, a disciple. And so the the whole point of that is you're supposed to draw from them and to kind of adopt how they speak and they're recognized for their speech. And so that's why, even though Peter was denying Jesus and cursing, someone said, your speech betrays you. You can do all that all you want, but you can't really hide the fact that um, you were around Jesus. And so I think that it was a really um, excellent de- detail that Luke added about how they realized that they had been with Jesus. But then in verse 14 and seeing the man who had been healed standing with them, they could not say anything against that. That right there is despite not having the education might not be as eloquent. Um, they knew, okay, they're with Jesus, but also this lame man that has not walked in 40 years is healed and we can't deny that. So they kind of made up something and we're going to see that in the next verses, they made up something to feel empowered again because they knew they lost the battle already. And so verse 15 to 17, but when they had commanded them to go aside out of the council, they conferred among themselves saying, what shall we do to these men? For indeed that a notable miracle has been done through them is evident. So all who dwell in Jerusalem, and we cannot deny it. But so that it spreads no further among the people, let us severely threaten them that from now on, they speak to no man in this name. And something that um, I wrote down was when they cannot stop you, they referring to anyone that comes against us. When they cannot stop you, they will try to silence you. And so there will be a certain point that we can come in such authority. If, you know, we're aligned, we're really aligned with Christ, you know, through prayer, fasting, reading the word. When that is, you know, on point and we're really operating full in the fullness of the Holy Ghost, nothing can stop us. So all people will try to do is silence us and keep us from speaking that. And in that we start to question, is what I believe true? Well, they're doing all this. So maybe it is faulty and they're going to try and use your words against you because at the end of the day, the battle's already won. Uh, I feel like, you know, Verses 13 and 14 are so powerful 
because I feel like that's just like the world, right? Mm -hmm. To disqualify you. You're not qualified enough, or even maybe our own voice inside our head, right? You're not qualified enough to be a pastor. You're not qualified enough to preach. You're not, you don't have the education. You're not, you're not ready for that role yet. But then, you know, we get verse 14, whenever the Lord starts to work through this healing, right? That was the, the courtroom evidence. The lame man was the courtroom evidence to the council that, hey, there's nothing else to talk about. He's sitting right here with us, right? And I feel like that's so true for our personal testimony, that whenever we try to shut ourselves up, whenever the world tries to shut us up, right, we need to go back to those things that we know God has done in our lives and say, no, God did this, right? Verse 20, he says that we cannot speak the things which we have seen and heard. I've seen it and I've heard it, right? I can't deny it. And so I'm going to trust that the God who did that for me is the same God that's called me to speak out and, and walk in my calling. It's really right. good. I heard, a, I heard a preacher say one time that hell's opposition is God's confirmation. So mm. anytime you hear, you know, Eric, like you said, uh, that voice, you know, that, enemy whatever is coming against you when you hear them messing with you it's almost like that confirmation that okay they wouldn't be messing with something that isn't worth being messed with you know so once you once you're going through a struggle it's usually a good sign that you're doing the right thing so personally i don't know um who all knows um everything about what i do personally but i'm involved in campus ministry and i can't tell you how many times i've gone on to um, a campus, Illinois state. And it's just been like, you know, number one, it's hard. Like you feel like you're just going through the mud just to get onto campus that day. And it's always a drag. And, you know, maybe you talk to somebody on campus and they're just not receiving your word at all. You know, <laughs> I've had a few people like we've handed out flyers before, uh, just for an event that we were having. And I walked up to one guy and I tried to hand him a flyer and he's like, nah, bro, I'm good. And I'm like, okay, <laughs> have a good day. Um, so once you face opposition like that, instead of looking at it like, am I doing the right thing or am I even supposed to be here? Look at it like, no, okay, this is confirmation that I am doing the right thing. And if I, you know, it's like that verse says in Galatians, let us not be weary in well-doing for in due season we shall reap if we faint not, right? Mm. Yeah, brother Larry Clark is, uh, he's from Alexandria uh, originally, I believe, and he, um He's the one that taught my father a Bible study and got him in church. And he's probably taught more Bible studies than any human being ever. He's he's an amazing man. Um, love him to death. And he uh he came and taught us about Bible studies and, and reaching people and ministering to people. And he's like he he just basically said, if if someone turns you down and shuts shuts down the Bible study, there's someone else. Just there there's there's a millions of fish in the sea and there's there's more people that need the gospel and that's just on to the next one on to the next one and that's what jesus even says he's like if you step into somebody's house and you yeah. want to give them the word if they deny that word number one they're not denying you they're denying me number two there's somebody out there that wants what you have so go to the next house dust the dust off your feet and keep going you know <laughs> there's you know, it's, you can rest assured that even if you're running into people that don't want this, there are people out there that are hungry and that are really seeking the truth that you have. It's just about finding those people. You know, sometimes you may have to go through people that don't want it at all first, but once you do that, 
it builds a resilience in you rejection and going against that opposition and, you know, continuing in it, no matter what you face, it builds a resilience in you and it builds a boldness in you. We're talking to disciples or uh, we're looking and reading about disciples like Peter and John. They've been through some stuff walking with Jesus. You know, they've been ridiculed. They'd been rejected. They had, you know, done everything that they were doing before, but it took them a little while to get past the rejection and the fear of, denial or the fear of what will these people say we see that with peter and all of the disciples that scatter in the um, trial of jesus or when jesus was arrested none of them wanted to suffer the consequence of being with jesus but here we see a complete different story like we talked about where all of them are willing to go through this to stand and be bold for what they believe in and what they know is right and I, part of the reason why I think that is because they've been through this before. They've practiced. They've worked up a resilience. Not only are they filled with the Holy Ghost now, but they also built up that practice in the for three and a half years walking with Jesus, right? Amen. So keep going. You know, practice. Continue in well-doing because in due I, season you will reap. I like to, uh, like to kind of use that in Bible quizzing terms because a lot of people don't want to put in the hard work for – Right. so many verses and so much studying and so much quoting but i have a phrase i like to say and it's anything worth doing on this earth is hard yeah anything worth doing is is, is difficult and it's just uh bible quizzing is not easy but it's worth doing just like uh, reaching lost souls no pain no gain <laughs> for every for every council there's a five thousand group of people that wants to hear it it's the same message Peter gave the same message to the council in the 5,000, but it's, you know, it's that good ground that brings forth the some 30 and some 60 and some 100. You just got to sow the seed. The, the job of the sower isn't to test the ground. It's just to sow the seed. And I, I don't want to belabor the point, but I feel like it's, you know, we, a lot of people get so caught up. And I think this is really practical, especially for Bible quizzers or anybody that's looking to go into ministry in the future. Because we look at, at it like we have to be so anointed. We have to be so on a spiritual level to go out and to do this work for God. When really, like there, I heard a minister say one time, how easy or how hard, how anointed do you have to be to just go out into a field and fling seed? You know, it's not hard. It's not hard to sow seed into somebody's life to just say, hey, man, I'm praying for you. You know, would you like to do a Bible study? Would you like to talk about the Bible? You know, don't overthink it. And you know, don't count yourself out for something that you are completely capable of doing that God has completely qualified you to do. You know, I was in that boat when I was younger too. I like the ability to teach a Bible study and really win a soul seems so far out in left field for me. Like I did not think I would be capable of doing that at all, you know, but once I kind of started practicing, you know, I got to teach Bible studies at P7 through campus ministry and all that other stuff. You know, the ability comes and when you have the word of God, God will quicken that word in you. So, yeah, man, just don't disqualify yourself. God has qualified you and you can do amazing things. You could do everything that these apostles did in the New Testament. You know, if like uh, Brother Aaron Bounds just preached at General Conference on Tuesday and he said, if it worked for Paul, Silas, if it worked for all of these men in the New Testament, it can work for me. And if God could uh, could make a donkey talk, he can uh, he can help you teach about. <laughs> and, and along mm. those lines, when we were going over thirteen, fourteen, the thought came, and my pastor always uses this this verse um, when he's encouraging me, and he uses First Corinthians 
uh, chapter 1, verse 27, which says, But God hath chosen the foolish things of the world to confound the wise. And God hath chosen the weak things of the world to confound the things that are made. You may not be, you may not be the wisest person out there. You may not be the mightiest person out there, but God will still use you. Despite your imperfections and despite your um, the things that you think are not qualified enough, my pastor always also says, God qualifies the unqualified. And Peter in this case, Peter and John in this case, both exemplify that in this or They exemplify it throughout their ministry. But in this passage, in verses 13, 14, especially when they're basically looked at and judged for not going to school. Like ultimately, that's what it was. They didn't go to school. They didn't have the money and they didn't have the capability to study and have the privileges that the Sanhedrin did to be able to be viewed as wise. And what's interesting is in the verse prior to that, Paul in First Corinthians, Paul is saying that there's not many wise men on this earth. There's not many um, mighty. There's not many noble that are called. But it's the foolish. And I don't think he was calling us foolish, but he was using the simplest thing being the gospel confounds the wisest person because if you look at someone that has committed this committed sin that maybe we may judge it as this horrible sin but god is looking at it as if they've already repented they've already forgiven my gospel and my blood was shed for that person to be saved and and that's that's what it ultimately comes down to is us having this seed as uh, was it uh, avery that was talking about us having the seed of the gospel being able to spread that to the world it may be foolish to some people but god is using that and uses your boldness combined with faith combined with his word to be able to minister to those people to be able to bring them closer to him and peter and john exemplify that in this chapter when they're looked at and said you're not smart enough to be able to do this but at the end of the day god made up the difference and god qualified him to be qualified. and Amen. the weaker the weaker you are the you know, the more incapable that you see yourself as, the greater ability God's strength can be shown in you, the greater the opportunity for God to show his strength in you. So take courage in that. Amen. All right, let's keep going. Good, good. All right. So verses 18 through 22. So they called them and commanded them not to speak at all, nor teach in the name of Jesus. But Peter and John answered and said to them, whether it is right in the sight of God to listen to you more than to God, you judge, for we cannot but speak the things which we have seen and heard. So when they had further threatened them, they let them go, finding no way of punishing them because of the people, since they all glorified God for what had been done. For the man was over 40 years old on whom this miracle of healing had been performed. And so I love how um, the Sanhedrin, they really were coming against Peter and John, but how Peter, he just had a rebuttal. And he was just saying, I'm sorry, but no matter what you say, no matter what you do, no matter the threat, I can't help but to preach the gospel. I can't help but speak under the name and the authority of Jesus Christ. And so there was no shaking him. And it was because of that, that Peter and John, they were delivered. There was no getting to them. Had Peter succumbed to those threats and got intimidated, then the battle would have not necessarily been won, but in their eyes, they would have been like, oh, we finally got to them. And when it didn't have to pan out that way. But thankfully, Peter, he was exercising that boldness and uh, coming against them. And so 
when I was reading this in verse 21, when it said that um, when they had further threatened them, they just ended up letting them go because it kind of seemed they were irritated at that point and just rolling their eyes. I could imagine and being like, fine, just leave then, you know, and that reminded me of Hebrews chapter 11 and how in the latter section talking about how it was by faith that some experienced deliverance. Now, unfortunately, yes, Peter, he did die a martyr's death, but in this moment, he did see um, the fruit of um, his faith. But even in his martyrdom, that demonstrates faith because it says that in Hebrews chapter 11, though some, they did suffer through that way, that still is a testimony of faith because you were willing to go as far as to the actual end. And so that's what I drew from that segment. And then what I also noticed, it was when I read verse 22, when it described, for the man was over 40 years old on whom this miracle of healing had been performed. I know that usually, you know, in literature, it's always talking about if something is repeated multiple times, it's kind of like, okay, I want you to pay attention. And so I started understanding, yes, we we know this is about the lame man being healed, but they really keep driving home that point. So I was like, okay, let's see exactly what verses that is spoken of. And so I took a little bit of um, chapter three when everything started. So Acts chapter three, verses nine through 10. And then going into our chapter, chapter four, verses 14, 16, and then 22. So between both of these chapters, about five times that this miracle is mentioned. And it's driving home the point of verse 14, all the way back to verse 14, of they can't deny it. And even that section of not denying that's mentioned about two or three more times after verse 14 and so it's just emphasizing the power of when God is working in us and Philippians 2 I believe it is it talks about it's God that it's the spirit that works through us to do to will and to do and so when you have the power of the spirit backing you up then nothing can deny it and so this chapter is trying to emphasize don't ever back down don't feel intimidated despite your status despite um education or whatever it is, your talent, your personality, don't feel hindered by the um, opposition that comes against you. Because when we have um, Jesus on our side, we have the spirit working in us, then nothing can come against us. So that's what I got from that. Amen. I, uh, I do love verse 20. By the way, there's a lot of, um, there's a lot of contestants for MVP verse in this chapter. I just want to say yeah. So uh, we're going to have a good discussion when, uh, when we're through this. So, I think it's important in this passage to talk about human government and how, how Christians should respond to human government. You know, if you look at Paul's epistles, he talks about how we should lead a, a peaceable life with the Roman, or in, the, in their context, the Roman officials, for us, government officials. Romans 13 kind of gives a very in-depth discussion about human government and our response to it. Verse one just says, let every soul be subject to the higher powers, for there is no power but of God. The powers that be are ordained of God. And so a lot of people have a hard time kind of reconciling. Well, you know, Paul talks about us being peaceable with the government. When you look at the book of Acts and you have Peter and John kind of, you know, going against them. And so how do you kind of reconcile these two accounts? And I think what it is, is we're not looking for, you know, fights with government, right? We want to obey the law to the best of our ability, but there is still yet a higher law beyond the human law, laws that society puts up, and that is the law of God. So anytime that the human law, right, 
goes against the law of God and pushes the boundaries and says, no, you can't speak in the name of Jesus, right? No, you can't worship freely. We have a right to appeal to that higher law, which is God's law in the Bible and say, no, I'm, while I respect you, right? Peter wasn't, you know, name calling or doing any, anything like that in this passage. While I respect your role as a human, uh, human government authority, I have a higher responsibility, and that is to the law of God. That really reminds me of the book of Daniel, right? Avery and I mm-hmm. did a study on the book of Daniel a couple of years ago at our church, and the three Hebrew boys and, and Daniel, they they obeyed all the laws of Babylon until those laws came in conflict with the law of uh, the law of God. And I think we are instructed to, as long as the law of the land doesn't come in conflict with the law of God, we're supposed to obey the law of the land. But as soon as it comes in conflict, and that's where it can get gray, right? That's where you can argue, well, you know, the government's doing this and, you know, we, that, that goes against God and that can get in some gray area there. But um, it isn't, I, I do find that interesting. I do feel like some people uh, feel like it's okay to disobey things that they disagree with, with from our government. Um, and they say, you know, they have reasons why, but I, I sometimes I don't feel like while I don't like it and I don't agree that it's the right thing to do, I don't really think it comes in conflict with the law of God. So um, sometimes that can be a hard pill to swallow, I guess. And I really the, going on. Sorry, let me cut you off. Logan. No, you're good. Go ahead. Oh, um, kind of like to go along with that. This is kind of skipping down a couple of verses, but I feel like it was necessary to bring this up. Verse 24, whenever they begin to pray, they address um, God as Lord. Right. And in the Greek context, the word Lord means um, kind of like a master, like a overarching ruler. And so it's almost like the apostles are saying, God, you're our our first source of government. You're our our first source of wisdom and law. Let us, Lord, follow your will and your law before we do anything else. And so I think that's really on the apostles heart in this whole entire passage. Anybody else on the section? Logan? Oh, I was just going to recap. I was going to piggyback off of what you were saying on Daniel and the three Hebrew boys. What's interesting about the three Hebrew boys is when the, um, when the statue was constructed and, the, and they had you know, commanded everyone to bow down and worship that statue, the three Hebrew boys were, they were in the crowd, but they didn't bow down. But at the same time, when they were kind of called into um, when, the, when the king questioned, they didn't go in with an attitude of, oh, we're better than you, or, oh, no, we can't do this. And with a higher than thou mentality, with pride in their hearts, they came in with submission and with humility, as if to say, I'm submitted to the natural law, but I'm also submitted to the spiritual law. And I think one thing that we struggle with nowadays is when we don't agree with something, we come at it, this prideful mentality of, well, scripture says this, so I have to be this way. And we stand on our, I hate to say this, this high horse. When the example that's given to us is the three Hebrew boys, they went in and they admitted everything to the king. And they did it with a humility and with a submission to their, to their king, to their rule. Knowing their spiritual law was ultimately going to win out to the natural law. 
but they did so in a way that was submissive, that was humble, that was able for God to work through them despite the situation. And if there would have been any ounce of pride, that that might have gone a little differently than how scripture says. But thankfully, they gave us an example of what submission, the power of submission and the power of humility in that story. But the power of submission and the power of humility of standing up for what is right ultimately delivered them from the hand of of the Babylonian king. And so when we go into this and we talk about this this subject, um, you know, with you know, governmental regulations or stuff like that or persecutions that may arise, we stand for what is right and truth in scripture and what we know is what we know is right. But at the same time, we're submitted and we have a humility to those to, to those around us, to those that are in charge. Um, while standing to what is true, while standing to what God has taught us. And that goes back to the verse, Annalise, you actually quoted it earlier, where Peter's like, be ready to give an answer for the yeah. reason of the hope that's in you. You know, be ready to be bold, but at the same time, how are you going to do that? With meekness and fear, right? Respectfully, calmly, meekly. So, you know, there is things that, there are hills that we need to die on as Christians, but there's a way to do it. You know, it's not going out guns a blazing, <laughs> you know, sometimes you don't need to win every single argument. Right. But stand for what, like, what did Peter, Peter do in this instance? I feel like he was still kind of respectful on how he was addressing the, the Sanhedrin, the council. Cause he was like, whether it's right in your eyes to listen to you or to listen to God, that's up to you. He's like, but as for us, this is something that we can't help but do, you know, and that's a really good approach that we can have in talking to people and just giving a reason for the way we live, the way we do nowadays, you know, like we know, I, or we could be like, I know what you guys believe. I know the standards that you hold, you know, but as for me and my house, you know, we can't help but serve the Lord. We can't help but do what we know is right. You know, we can't deny what God has done in our lives and we can't help but do this. So. You can get on board or not, but as for me, I'm going, right? What do you guys think about them? Uh, they couldn't find a good way to punish them because of the people. What do y'all see there? It's kind of a reversal of what happened with Jesus. The people like Pilate wanted to deliver Jesus and not put him to death, but because of the people, he wasn't really able to do that. But on the flip side, it's and it's was what's crazy, like I mentioned, it's in the same exact place, right? Jesus was condemned to death in this place, and the people were saying crucify him. But on the flip side, now Jesus has been preached to them, and now the council can't punish the people that are preaching Jesus because the people are still on board. So it's of how what Jesus has been doing, the Holy Ghost being poured out and Jesus being preached to all these people. You said something, Avery, that struck me. It was in the same place that Jesus was condemned. Yeah. What Jesus turned death into life, ultimately the place that proclaimed for death became life. Mm-hmm. That's good. And where believe not even not, not believers, sorry, where the Jews crucified Jesus the tide has now shifted. The atmosphere has changed 
to where now life is chosen rather than death. And we see a crowd of people that is now choosing Jesus and choosing life versus the rules that they've been so accustomed to. The life that they've known their entire lives, their laws and traditions and customs that they've grown up, that they've learned all of this. And they're all of a sudden realizing there's something different. And that something different is real. It's authentic. It's genuine. It's tangible. I can grab it, feel it. I, I can operate in it. And the entire atmosphere, the entire tide has shifted in a different way than what it was when Jesus was crucified. Yeah, now I should say everything that happened with Jesus's trial did not take place here exactly because Jesus had to go before Pilate. Jesus also went before um Herod and, and all that stuff. So but the point still stands, you know, there was a whole lot down here in terms of the Jews that now the tide is just drastically flipped, right? A lot of people are now now that Jesus has been preached, a lot of people are now a lot more receptive and responsive to the message as opposed to when Jesus was being crucified. So all right, well let's uh let's start into the next passage. All right. So verses 23 to 31, we're going to go to. And being let go, they went to their own companions and reported all that the chief priests and elders had said to them. So when they heard that they raised their voice to God with one accord and said, Lord, you are God who made heaven and earth and the sea and all that is in them, who by the mouth of your servant David have said, what, why did the nations rage and the people plot vain things? The kings of the earth took their stand and the rulers were gathered together against the Lord and against his Christ. For truly against your holy servant Jesus, whom you anointed, both Herod and Pontius Pilate, but the Gentiles and the people of Israel were gathered together. Verse 28, to do whatever your hand and your purpose determined before to be done. Now, Lord, look on their on their threats and grant to your servants that with all boldness they may speak your word. By stretching out your hand to heal and that signs and wonders may be done through the name of your holy servant, Jesus. And when they had prayed, the place where they were assembled together was shaken and they were all filled with the Holy Spirit. And they spoke the word of God with boldness. Verse 31 is something that's pretty popular for us because it's something that gets, you know, our youth groups fired up and stuff. Youth and hyphen and just like, yes, you know, like we can shake this place. And everyone gets all excited, you know, rumble, rumble. And so um, what I <laughs> what I drew from this chapter was um, I love how um, verse 23, Peter and John, they come back and I just kind of imagine Peter, Peter and John's right next to him. And I mean, I did take notice that John, you know, he doesn't say anything. I mean, he never does, but the fact that he's just there, you know, we're going to have some of those people that are like that, but the fact that he's just accompanying him, they come, you know, just as a pair, but John, I mean, uh, Peter, he's coming back and he's just declaring to them, to everyone uh, that believes and kind of just rallying them together. Like, Hey, um, they thought they had us, but you know, we came through, we're strong and just proclaiming the majesty. I say verses 20, um, six through 27, he's declaring the majesty of Jesus and how in verse 27 specifically, it's talking about how Jesus has stood the test of time and how not just the test of time, but also when different authorities try to rise up and to overtake his name, or I guess demantle him in a way, Jesus has always found a way to come through, um, yesterday, today, and forevermore. And so that's what Peter was trying to get them to understand is this kingdom has no end. And what I really loved was in verse 30, how I kind of saw it as a 
transaction and exchange. It says in exchange, you know, for the threat, Jesus, uh, who he's praying out loud in a way, saying that for all the threats that were given, let us kind of convert that into boldness. And so I guess using it as a way to push back. So when we're threatened, the opposite of that is coming in boldness. And so I think that's why in verse 31, um, it kind of showed a fulfillment of that prayer that was just given of Lord, for those threats, we want boldness. And it says that they spoke the word of God with boldness. The spirit fell and the place was shaken. But that that detail was added of that prayer was answered. You know, so that's what I think was really important that was um, spoken of. And so as I was reading this, what really came to mind was Romans 835 of how if God is for us, who can be against us? And so understanding that with God on our side, all is all is possible and how it's the anointing that breaks the oaks. How it says in Isaiah and how when you're going and coming and anointing, there's just a new level of authority and boldness that overshadows you and directs your steps. Well, my favorite part about this, and we see this over and over and over again, is um, in verse uh, 24, they did it with one accord. They did it Mm -hmm. in unity. And we've talked about this before that, you know, God is in essence one and God is unity. And it's just a universal truth that, you know, people that come to, you know, um, one shall chase a thousand and two shall chase 10,000, right? When you're unified it's exponential and every single time we see that the the disciples were unified through the book of acts amazing things happen right and i love the prayer that they pray you know lord behold their threatenings like god you see their threatenings you know what they're doing and you know what the enemy basically has planned for us but grant unto your servants that with all boldness we may speak your word you know so, and that's a really good prayer that we can learn to pray in our own lives. And that's one thing, by the way, all the verses that you learn, especially in Psalms, they are great things to pray. Like mm-hmm. pray Psalms 23, pray those Psalms and all those verses that you memorized in quizzing because, you know, something gets God's attention or something just stirs the spiritual realm whenever you pray the word of God and awesome stuff happens. But anyway often awesome stuff will happen but um kind of like that thing you know god we see everything that they're doing and you see everything that the enemy is bringing against us that all these people are bringing against us but let us be bold and let us continue in your word that we may speak and do whatever your hand would do you know we are your hands and feet let us be your hands and feet even in the middle of all these threatenings so go to god in prayer whenever you face opposition and talking about, you know, praying the word, that's exactly what they did. You know, they prayed mm-hmm. Psalms 2, mm-hmm. Psalms 2 verses 1 and 2, whenever it says, why did the heathen rage and the people imagine vain things? You know, if you look at the Psalms, obviously David is in the middle of some trying times, right? Fleeing from his son Absalom, talking, you know, fleeing from his enemies and fighting with his enemies. And he's in the middle of all these things. But just like David prayed, right? God, you're in control of everything. They also had that same approach in verse 24, that Lord, you are God and you made the the heaven, the earth, the sea, everything in them, right? You have power and dominion over all of it. And then I like verse 28, you're going to do whatever your hand wants to do and your counsels are determined to do, 
right? Before any of it actually happens. And I think about the story of Job, how Satan had to go ask permission to tempt Job before he did, you know? And in the same way, God had already predetermined this or like, or pre-allowed it, right? Before it even came to play, uh, came to pass in Acts chapter four, all the, all the, the temptations and the, and the threatenings from the, the council was already allowed by God in the first place. So they're saying, obviously, God, you've already allowed this because you have the power over it. Now help us to have boldness through it. And I think that's a very powerful prayer for us to pray, right? Is the same prayer that Christ prayed in the garden, which was not my will, but let your will be done. You know, you've already determined this, God. Obviously, you're allowing this to happen. Don't change what's happening, but change my approach through it. Give me the boldness to be able to walk through it. That's really good. All right. We got anything else on this? Is, we covered a good chunk here. Is there anything else in here? Any context or um, application? No? All right. Well, let's uh, let's jump back into the next passage. Okay, so this will be our final passage. So it's verses 32 through 37. And it says, now the multitude of those who believed were of one heart and one soul. Uh, so Brother Phil, you talked about this, you know, one again, once again, one accord. So unity, that theme. Uh, neither did anyone say that any of the, the things he possessed was his own, but they had all things in common. And with great power, the apostles gave witness to the resurrection of the Lord Jesus and great grace was upon them all. Nor was there anyone among them who lacked for all who were possessors of land or houses sold them and bought the proceeds of things that were sold and laid them at the apostles' feet and they distributed to each as anyone had need. And Joseph, who is also named Barnabas for the apostles, which is translated son of encouragement, a Levite of the country of Cyprus, having land, sold it and brought the money and laid it at the apostles' feet. So um, verses 32 through 35, as we mentioned before, it's just that theme of the unifying of the church. And just kind of being in the same team. Now, this is something my dad, he always talks about because when people have a problem with like, you know, tithing, if he if he mentions that, he was like, okay, if you want to do it the biblical way, he said, then give up everything. <laughs> and then like everyone gets all quiet and stuff. <laughs> and he said, yeah, if you want to go, oh, it's not in scripture to tithe. He said, so which one do you want? <laughs> and then mm. everyone gets quiet. And so uh, the principle of that is just understanding of being on the same team that we as the church, we're on one team, not being divided by sectors of our churches or different sections of our districts or even by district, um, but understanding that we are all should be operating in one accord and the unity should lead down even to um, just the, the smallest of matters of being unified. We don't have to go as far as, you know, selling stuff, you know, but I mean, if God has called you to that, that's like probably a personal, very personal conviction, you know, but understanding just the theme or what, you know, Jesus is wanting us to draw from this is seeing how radical they were about unity. And I feel like that lately that we have been getting better, I would say, um, in the church about that. I feel like 2020, um, the pandemic really forced us to rely on one another in the church and understanding, oh, I, we really can't make it without each other. And talked about in Hebrews, you know, forsaking out the assembling of ourselves together as we see the day of the Lord approaching, I think it got real for us <laughs> and we all understood, wow, you know, like we really need to just put aside certain things. And yes, there was different things that caused um, controversy and splits within churches or against other churches and such. But um, at the end of the day, I think that a lot of the church, and I'm kind of seeing the effects of it. I feel like the unity, as far as, you know, our district, me and Logan can talk about that. 
of, I feel like our district has definitely come a long way. And I would say that there is an incredible sense of unity. I mean, at our camp meetings and stuff, it's just a different level. And so, and I feel like I've seen that even just going to NAYC this year, general conference, it just feels different, you know? So I would say that unity is definitely something that we can gain from this chapter and seeing how committed, committed is what they were. And then I would say the way that this chapter concludes, if um, someone doesn't really pay attention to detail, they'll say, well, who's Joseph? You know, they'll be like, why did they talk about this guy? You know? And so, cause that was my first thought. I was like, okay, obviously went into detail for a reason. So I studied just a little bit. Um, so verses 36 to 37, and it talks about how, um, also named Barnabas, um, it says in verse 36 saying that he was a Levite of the country of Cyprus. And so when I looked up Cyprus and just, um, what was it like back in that time? It says that it was abundant. Um, it was abundant land, you know, of oil, honey, um, wool, et cetera. And so it also was saying, and then also saying, saying that he comes from the tribe of Levi. And so seeing that, putting two and two together, you can kind of assume for him to give up everything, that was a lot. And so it's saying that he, having land, sold it and brought the money. And so he participate, participated in the same act as everybody else. And so I would say that principle is he didn't um, see himself in a super high regard or he didn't allow his status to get in the way. He's like, hey, I might come from this tribe and hey, I'm from Cyprus, but that does not disqualify me from being in unity. That doesn't mean that I'm better off than somebody else. I'm going to participate and show that same level of commitment. And so I guess he would say, I would say that this kind of erases any sort of hierarchy in the kingdom of God in that it can show um, us that, you know, at the end of the day, we're all on the same level playing field and that we should all just work together um, leveled out and not seeing it as this one is more favored than another, which you can see that in personal application of maybe some that were raised in church, whereas others that they're first generation or um, those that have left and then came back. There, there shouldn't be shame in any of those um different groups, if you will. I agree. We are called to take care of each other and we're all brothers and sisters in Christ. Right. And um, just like it's very natural for us to take care of our siblings when they're in need. That's how it's supposed to be with, with all of us, with the church. And I, and, you know, and we had this discussion in Acts chapter uh, two, right. About them having all things common and you know was the church socialist it's like well no they they <laughs> they they were of one mind and one accord they gave freely they were not mandated to you know peter didn't say okay everybody go sell your stuff right now whether you want to or not and give it to us and we're we got to feed everybody and okay you've got this much food give me half of that and we're giving it to this good now it was it was all freely of their own constitution they um they they were all truly unified. And if you look to the next chapter, Barnabas is almost directly contrasted with Ananias and Sapphira, who sold their land, but they mm-hmm. lied about how much the, it was worth. They only gave part of the value of the land to the apostles. And, you know, the apostles were like, guys, like you didn't have to lie about it. You know, it was completely in your free will to give however much you wanted to give but because you lied to the holy ghost there will be repercussions so i feel like you can contrast barnabas and how he gave he freely gave um 
Annalise, like you said, out of his abundance, out of his, um, yeah, just out of his abundance, he gave freely what he had and he gave cheerfully. But Ananias and Sapphira, they, you know, they gave out of a deceitful heart. So I feel like that illustrates the fact that not just the act of giving, not just the act of being a part of what God's doing, but how you do that and your spirit and your heart when you also are participating in that matters a whole lot. So I, I think it's, I think you brought up a good point, Ave, and um, it's good context for people to understand that Luke wrote a letter. He didn't put chapters in it. You know, man decided where to put the, the ends and beginnings of chapters and this, it kind of feels weird that they just mentioned Joseph, right? But it's not as weird when you read about Ananias because Avery nailed it. It's a, it's just contrasting these two, these two people. But being like, we kind of separate chapters in our mind, especially quizzing, right? We we don't think of it as just a one long letter. Um, but this is kind of one of those odd places, I think, to end a chapter, right? Mm-hmm. Um because it obviously really goes right into the next one. It, says, it literally starts with, you know, chapter five starts with the word, but. Yeah. <laughs> and that's is... like, and that is actually a huge point because I, I think it was actually your mom, Phil, that said this one time. Uh, she's like, anytime you see a therefore in the first verse of a chapter, it's like big, big blinking red lights. Go back to the previous <laughs> chapter and figure out what that therefore is for. Because I go, a great example is uh, Romans chapter eight. We all love Romans eight, but. The first verse is, there is therefore now no condemnation to them which are in Christ Jesus. What is the therefore? You know, what is the why there for that therefore? And Paul is talking about how, you know, oh, wretched man that I am, who shall deliver me from the body of this death? But I thank God, you know, who has given me the ability to be delivered from this um, sinful and wretched man that I am. And because of that, there's no condemnation to them which are in Christ Jesus. So you you can miss out on a whole lot of context and a whole lot of truth if even just not getting the context of the ver- of the chapter, but the chapter related to the other chapters around it. So all of the, especially in the letters, you know, like Luke wrote Acts in a letter form, uh, Paul, virtually every single one of his books that he wrote were in letter format. You really need to understand the context of con- context of how every chapter fits with all the other chapters. Uh, on a on a quizzing note, Avery, I think that is one thing for younger quizzers to pay attention to: the therefores and the wherefores. Right? Those are whys, mm-hmm. right? Or those why? are the reasons why. Then, and all of those can be a why question because that's what it is, and they're tougher to understand. And usually, they have long answers, right? Um, but that, especially in this year, we have some, right? So be on the lookout for those and understand what those words mean and what kind of, you know, for quizzing purposes, what kind of questions can be asked from that wherefore, therefore, but also to understand what they're talking about, why they are giving you this information. Therefore, do this. They're saying you need to do this thing because this reason over here that I just said. So it's kind of a backwards why. Right. I always think of it kind of like a reverse why. So, um, all right. Well, what else we got? That's it for the chapter. Yeah. Does <laughs> <laughs> anybody, uh, anybody got anything else closing remarks on the chapter on this last, uh, last bit here? 
Barnabas is goaded. I think it's cool to know this is one of the, I think this is the first time we find Barnabas. Yeah. The the first time we find Barnabas is described as giving pretty much everything he has. And then he becomes this incredibly valuable apostle in the book of Acts because Barnabas is the one that brings Paul to the apostles, who is Saul, brings Saul to the apostles. Um, and then is, uh, it says in, he, I'm trying to find the note. Uh, he brings Paul to the apostles in Acts chapter 9, and then he's a co-worker with Paul throughout, you know, part of Paul's ministry and Paul's missionary journeys. And we see his first, um, his first appearance is when he's sacrificing everything. And, you know, cool note to this is an application being you can sacrifice whatever you can for God. God will reward you. God will, God will bless it. God will be faithful to you. Um, you know, you're sacrificing, as quizzers, you're sacrificing your time, your energy, your efforts into learning material, learning so many things. We, I, I can't remember if we talked about this in the last chapter, the last scripture dive, or in actually two, but when we talked about the the insane chart work that you do being a sacrifice to God. Um, everything that you put into this is a sacrifice that God is going to be faithful to you and reward you for doing. It may not be in trophies, it may not be in ribbons, it may not be in, uh, it, it may not even be in a national show. But at the end of the day, understand the time that you're putting in to your study and the sacrifice that you're making you are willing to reap the benefit of the reward that God has for you. Amen. Yeah, I think uh, Barnabas is... Sorry, Bill. No, no, I wanted to say, and you can, I I think you're the one that that can speak to my question. I always think it's interesting when they, when they give interpretations of names, but if you don't mind covering Eric, like, it says his, he had had a name, Joseph, Mm -hmm. but it says the apostles gave him a different name. And then he gave the interpretation of that name. Yeah. I feel well, like there's talk about the interpretation of the son of consolation. So yeah, Barnabas, that's what they kind of like how Peter and John, they had the name like sons of thunder. Like mm-hmm. it's very similar in this regard about Barnabas being the son of consolation. And really he lived up to that name. Like if you look at his whole entire ministry, Logan mentioned one instance, right? In Acts chapter nine, how he takes in this, New, new disciple just kind of flippantly and goes and, and brings him to the apostles. He a does this thing. Remember that. What was it? He was, he was a murderer. <laughs> and all of a yeah, sudden, right. Like, a normal <laughs> rational person wouldn't have done that. Yeah. Okay. It's like, but it's so funny how Paul kind of soon forgets like how much of an impact Barnabas had on his life. Because if you look in Acts 15, there was a, a confrontation between Mark and and paul and paul doesn't want mark going on further missionary journeys with him but barnabas takes him in and i think barnabas and mark were cousins barnabas takes him in and kind of like eventually tells paul to like reconcile himself back to mark and if you look at the end of paul's life in second timothy paul literally calls mark profitable to him for the ministry so it's like barnabas has this whole 
back, you know, back aisle ministry where he's just being an encouragement to the church, right? He doesn't really have this first line role in the church of like a Peter or a James or a, a, a Paul, but he has this, this ministry that, you know, the, the big four, right. in the, in the book of Acts are, are directly profitable profiting from, from him just being a, a son of, con, a son of consolation, right. A son of encouragement. We okay. see that as giving in Acts four, that it continues throughout his whole life. In, in relation to quizzing, I think that's really cool because not everybody can be the star kid that can go and get all three thirties or that can nail every cross reference. You know, we, we've had a, we've had kids that learn their material, but they weren't strong on the quiz board, but they had a role on the team. And that, that role was being a great teammate, being an encourager, praying for their, their team. And even the other praying for the other team. Um, there's always, a role of, you know, if if you're not a great quizzer on the quiz board, there's always a role for you on the team. And, and if you can, if you can have that humility and that, um, that, that Barnabas attitude, right. And what's really cool about Barnabas though, he actually, his role was actually a lot more um, prominent than a lot of people realize. Cause uh, I think it was, Dr. Painter at Urshan, he talked like he loves talking about Paul. Paul is his favorite apostle. And he talked about Barnabas. And I can't remember if this is in the Bible or if it's historical, but in one place where Paul and Barnabas go on a missionary journey, they refer to Paul and Barnabas as Zeus and Hermes. I think it's like a Greek place. And a lot of scholars believe that Barnabas was actually the one that they called Zeus just because of Paul's uh, stature, you know, a, a lot like from a historical standpoint, a lot of people think that Paul is actually really short and he didn't talk very well in person. I think you can infer that from some passages that people write, <laughs> but Barnabas was like this prominent guy, man. Like he, like he was an apostle. He was an apostle with Paul and he accompanied Paul on a lot of his missionary journeys. So Paul, you know, is obviously the apostle that we all think of, but I don't know. I feel like every Paul has a Barnabas, you know, every um, even when the disciples in the Gospels went out to do a work of the ministry, they always went in twos by two and two. And I feel like. And that illustrates the point that no matter what you do for God, you should never do it alone because, you know, there's encouragement like Barnabas, his name is literal, literally means the son of consolation, the son of encouragement. You know, so Barnabas's role was there to encourage Paul, was there to be with Paul, to encourage one another, to encourage the work of the ministry. So I don't know. I think it's super cool to see that this guy who we usually don't talk about a whole lot, but his role is so prominent, even in the book of Acts and in the New Testament church. You could say the same thing about Peter and John, you know, yeah. in Acts 3 and 4. John doesn't get a whole lot of voice time, right? Peter does a lot of the talking. But I mean, I felt like there's a reason why Luke's talking about John as well and not just Peter, but it's Peter and John accompanying one another. Yeah, that's how I feel about this podcast. Like, you know, you guys are the Peters and the and the Pauls and I'm I'm the I'm the Barnabas here and just cheering you guys on. You guys are awesome. Can I be can I be Bartholomew? (laughs) (laughs) Philip, Philip, what disciple do you want to be? <laughs> uh can I be Philip? 
<laughs> All right. Well, um, this has been uh, this has been great. I love X Chapter Four. Does anybody have anything else before we move on to the nerdy stuff? No. All right. Well, um, let's let's first let's do the uh, MVP verse. I know this is going to be this is going to mm-hmm. be a very 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 tough uh, tough decision, but um, Annalise, we used to, what do you what do you what would you say? Okay, um, I know I've been thinking about it throughout the podcast, but I would probably say I would have to pick two, but they're consecutive. So verses thirteen through fourteen, that right there, it just jumped out to me. You know, it just sums it all up, what it's all about, and just how the name of Jesus is undeniable and the power of it. So that right there really stuck out to me, like, the whole entire time. All right. it's a good MVP. All right. Logan? I might take one of our, one of someone else's, but I'm going to say verse 20. Um, for we cannot but speak the things which we have seen and heard. Um, you may not be able to always talk to someone based on your knowledge, based on your own wisdom, based on your own merit. But one thing that you can't speak on is what you've seen and what you've heard, what you felt, what you've experienced. And that's the beautiful thing about the gospel. Not only is the gospel something that you can teach someone, but the gospel is something that someone can receive and feel. They can feel the overwhelming power of the Holy Ghost speaking through them after repentance. They can feel the joy that comes with being baptized in the name of Jesus and having their sins washed for eternity. They can feel the gospel when it went And that verse encapsulates it when Peter's talking. You know, I, I may not be able to wow you with my words because I was I'm not one of you. But what I can speak on is I experienced Jesus firsthand. I experienced him now in my own heart. And that's what I need to do. Uh, amen ave okay so i was gonna try and be different and i was gonna say 19 through 20 just because logan for the reasons that you said <laughs> i feel like all, all of us would be remiss if we didn't bring up 412 and talking about a mvp verse just because you know it brings that is really the you know it's a staple verse for i think for a lot of us whether through baptism or just salvation period you know oneness there's salvation and no other name. There's no other name under heaven given among men whereby we must be saved. You know, I feel like that in and of itself is just a big theme in the book of Acts that the name of Jesus is the only saving name. So. Amen. Eric. Well, since everyone's taken the ones that I was going to say. I left you for last because I knew you could, you, could come up with, you could come up with something something good. I like verse 33. And with great power gave the apostles witness of the resurrection of the Lord Jesus, and great grace was upon them all. Um, I feel like that's a great place to be in terms of our relationship with others, right? Being able to speak the word with power, but also not just having, right, our ministry in a spot where we're like, you know, really doing the will of God, but then also having great grace. Whenever we're in a position where our relationship with God matches our ministry and what we're doing, I feel like that's the sweet spot that we're all trying to be at. Not just having one, but having both of them. Amen. I'm going to, uh, I'm going to say 31. I like, I like 31 a lot. 31 and, uh, and 32. They're, I love, I love the unity. And I, I, I think in Bible quizzing terms, 
I've always said that if, if a team's going to be successful, they have to be unified and on the same page. And that's, I think that is something that, um, that I'm, I, I've pushed hard and that has been accepted by the teams that I've coached. And, uh, I've seen, you know, if there's disagreement and there's not, you know, there's division, then God doesn't honor it. And so even if you have a great quizzing team, even if you're the most talented, if you're not unified, I don't think, uh, I don't think that you are likely to succeed. All right. Um, Great MVPs, guys. There's a lot, a lot of choices go around. So, all right. So with that, let's uh, let's let's hit the pronouns. Eric, what you got for us today? All right. So I'm gonna start off with a bang here. All right. So we know uh, if you look at Acts chapter four, verses five and six, it talks about all the groups that make up the council. So there's the rulers, the elders, the scribes, Annas, the high priest, Caiaphas, John, Alexander etc. Um, and so all of those groups together is making up the council, right? The Sanhedrin, but for KJV purposes, the council. Um, we do get the word, the council, um, in verse 15 is whenever the council is mentioned. So for quizzing purposes, if you're going to have to ID a pronoun, like let's say in verse 7, whenever it says, and when they had set them in the midst there's one in verse 13, one in verse 15, one in verse 18. You could, if you wanted to take the long route, just give all the groups that make up the council, right? If they have to like tie it down to a verse or a passage like verses five, six, and seven, then you have to, right? Because that's the only idea in that passage. But if it's open to the chapter, if you want to be more concise, you could just say they referring to the council because it's making and all those groups. And that is something we have looked into and checked because it is controversial because it very much seems like it's referring to like a physical location in verse 15. You know, they, uh, they give many of them to go aside out of the council, but that going back to the Greek, the word that is the word Sanhedrin, which is talking about the people. So um, it is a valid thing. I will say as a question writer, this was a headache because there's a point value difference between naming everybody in the council and saying the council. So um, I think I figured out a way to work around it, but um, that is a really interesting pronoun. Start also, off. we did we did look at the 2017 questions from Brother Fobert, and he kind of treated it like this as well. So we're thinking that 2024 will be no different. Um, Acts 4.11, I think this one's pretty self-explanatory, but this is the stone, this referring to Jesus is the stone um, in verse number 10. Verse number 12, this is a POI, but it's uh, important to mention, I think here, neither is there salvation in any other, for there is another name under heaven. Um, so the any other is referring to Jesus, not his name. So there's salvation in any other, except for Jesus, right? We get that from verse 10, because there is another name under heaven given among men. So you don't want to say in any other name, because it's referring to the person, Jesus, not his name. Good one. Um, verse 17, but that it spread no further among the people, the it is referring back to verse 16, the notable miracle right? The news about the notable miracle spreading among the people. 
verse 24, and when they heard that, they lifted up their voice. The they refers back to uh, Peter and John's own company in verse number 23. I believe that you could also, if you wanted to try this, I wouldn't recommend it. You could also ID that same group as them that believed in verse um, verse 32. I think it's the same group. Them that believed in the company of Peter and John. The multitude just, of them, I believe, yeah. Just yeah. because I like being difficult. Say. <laughs> that was yeah, I know. Say, um, you know, like that whole referring back to the council or everybody named in verse six. Could you say something like they referring to everybody named in <laughs> verse six? I don't think so. I just I don't think that they because you're not proving that you know what the names are. Yeah. You're just proving right. that you know which verse that there's a lot of people named. Disagree. I know who all they, they are, but. Well, it is on the quizzer to prove that they know the answer, not that they know where the answer is located. I'm with you. I'm with you. I just like being (laughs) difficult. You guys know this. (laughs) I know. Trust me. I know. All right. (laughs) Anything else, Eric? Uh, I have verse 33. This is a good one. Um, Also, the points of interpretation document is out. It's the version one on seniorbiblequizzing.com. If you don't know what that is, the points of interpretation is basically just a document that Brother Faber puts together around certain verses that are more ambiguous or unclear um, to kind of give those pronoun IDs. I think we mentioned daily back in Acts chapter two. That's one that would be on the points of interpretation document. And so this next one is on that POI document. Um, It's actually contrary to what's on the study guide. Verse 33, um, and with great power gave the apostles witness of the resurrection of the Lord Jesus, and great grace was upon them all. Them all is referring to the apostles, right? Not them that believed, contrary to the study God. So just the apostles. Um, verse 34, this is where it kind of flips back to them that believed. Neither was there any among them that lacked. Them refers back to than that believed the group so that's kind of an interesting thing to keep straight right verse 33 is just the apostles verse 34 it goes back to the group of them that believed I, i'm sure there will be some clarity on the discrepancy between the study guide and the poi so i'm just i'm sure the poi will will make a note of something so we'll yeah. um we'll be on the lookout for that i think that's it phil okay awesome um, then I have a few uh, notable charting things that I uh, that I noticed in this chapter. Um, there are three questions, which is like a perfect number of questions for a good cross-reference. We have two that the council ask, asks, and then we have an interesting one where it's like, the Lord said it through the mouth of David. So it's kind of a inter- lot of question possibilities there. You know, how did God ask what question or how did the Lord ask what question or who asked what question by the mouth of whom? It's kind of a lot of lot of fun little um, little things there. What did them that believe say that God said that David said? (laughs) (laughs) Exactly. Um, (laughs) uh, The word great is two times in verse thirty three. That is something to take note of because that will be a question. Um, high priests 
That was a staple question in 2017. Yep. I was going to say, I, that, was, that was all over, like, your tri-state first <laughs> tournament. Great grace, great power. Yeah. <laughs> For real. Um, high priest is a two-time phrase in one verse, in verse six. Um, feet, the apostles' feet are mentioned in two verses. We all, we, you know, that's a, we, sometimes we, we write questions about feet. So pay attention to that stuff. Um, one verse of chapter four names four men, which is Annas, Caiaphas, John, and Alexander. That's a good one. Um, I like this one. Uh, verse 15 says when they had talking about the council, right? When they had done what they did, what? verse 21 says when they had done what they did what it's kind of a very interesting when they did you know i like those a lot um two verses of acts chapter four contain the word miracle and they're both describing a type of miracle sort of so we have notable miracle and a miracle of healing so definitely good cross there uh three verses contain the phrase gathered together and in all those instances, it's who gathered together, who gathered together, who gathered together. So you can imagine the questions that can come from that. Um, I like this one. Um, in Acts chapter 4, Peter and John were commanded to do something, and they were commanded not to do something. That is, um, let me see, where is that at? That's, they were commanded to go outside out of the council, and they were commanded not to speak at all, nor teach in the name of Jesus um yeah that's uh i think that's about all uh well we also have unto the next day and on the morrow which was kind of a tough question to to figure out how to write it where it worked but um well we also have this one i, I do like this one um peter was filled with the holy ghost and did what in verse eight and they were all filled with the holy ghost and did what according to verse 31 so there's a there's a lot of good a lot of good um, charting and cross-reference stuff in chapter four. So just got to cover a little bit, but all right. We covered a lot of good stuff today, everybody. Thanks for, thanks for, for being here. Um, Annalise, it was a pleasure to have you today. Thank you for, for coming for on. Um, before we get off, you, you quizzed in 2017, correct? No. <laughs> no, you didn't. So you never no. got to quiz on Axe? No. Oh. <laughs> That's what I was still gone my own thing <laughs> uh, so when did you start quizzing so i started quizzing in 2013 so i quizzed from 12 to 14 and then i quit with no intention of coming back at all and then um like i literally would avoid our whole quiz community at every youth convention at like every <laughs> event i was like do not look at me do not talk to me like i just did not want to go back for like personal reasons it wasn't because of anyone like i didn't have a problem with anyone it was just my own thing you know it was 2016 that um I just like was you know doing my own thing I've grown up in a pastoral family but just because you grow up in church doesn't mean you know you're automatically saved and so that's kind of what I was going through you know and so it was the summer of 2016 that God he really touched my life and I was transferring schools and so I was going to a school that I didn't know anybody so I was like okay going to this new school I can create a new reputation so I was like, I really want to give my life to Christ and I'm going to a place like with a complete fresh start. So um, even though I um, 
started my relationship with God. I didn't warm up back to quizzing until uh, summer of 2018. So going into the 2019 season, I caught myself like looking at the national stats and following along with quizzes. And I was like, stop, because you're going to get all hyped up and you're going to want to go back. And I was like, no, no. But I kept on looking at it and I was like, stop. And so then I just felt like ever since I was 12, I knew I was supposed to be in quizzing, like going further, coaching, all that. God spoke to me when I was 12. And I knew that I was running away from it. And I remember just a few months before um, going back to quizzing, I told my mom, because um, that was when I started doing music a lot more. And so I started, I tried to hide and act like music was my ministry when it's more of a means of expression, but it's not really my ministry. (laughs) And so I tried to hide behind that. And I remember telling my parents, I said, I don't understand. Um, I said, everything's coming to pass that God said. I said, except quizzing. I said, because I'm not going back to that. And she was like, okay, you know, we'll see. And I said, cause that's the only thing that God has really like blatantly spoke about. I said, but that's not happening. She's like, okay. Like she didn't really say much. And then a few months later, I was literally just doing my hair, just looking at the um, stats. And I just felt God speak to me. And he's like, just one more year. And I was like, nope, I'm not doing it. You know, I was like, you're just excited. Cause everyone else is posting about it. And um, then I just started thinking about how hard it would be. Like coming out of, you know, not quizzing in such a long time and um, jumping back, you know, into experience and stuff. And I was like, there's no way. And then I was a senior in high school and I was like, I'm not going to do it. And so then it was the year of doctrine that was what I was going to quiz on. And so God was like, just give me one more year and you will never regret it. And I was like, okay, you know, I'll do one more year. And so after um, doing that one year, um, I saw Brother Fobert at Extrav and um, he was like, are you going to quiz next year? Because him and I, we, we already started like a good like relationship, I guess, when I first started quizzing, but he caught me in 2017 and at NYC, he's like, Annalise. And I didn't even know he knew my name. Not like that after a few years. And I was like, Hey, he's like, did you not make it to nationals? And I was like, Oh no, I don't do quizzing anymore. You know? And so I just, I talked. So, I was speaking to the wrong person when I said that. And I tried to tell him, I said, don't worry. I said, I'm still saved. I said, music is my thing. And he goes, so the word of God isn't your ministry. And like the dester that he gave me. And I just like looked at him and he said, think about it. So that was like his last words to me. So then I'm back. And then when he told me, you know, you should quiz next year. I had that same sensation as I did at NYC 2017. So I was like, you know what? I should. And so that was the first year that I memorized all my material by December. It was Psalms. And so I remember like, that was my first time doing it. And I was just like, so excited for that season. And then, you know, 2020 happened and such. And that was my last year. But um, it definitely was worth it, you know, and then now this will be my fourth year coaching. And that was like, one of the words that God gave me was about um, with me being quizzing. One of the things he said was that when I was involved in quizzing that I would leave a legacy. And so to see like, oh my gosh, I want to get teary eyed, but to see the certain kids that have joined our ministry and um, their stories and all, and just what God's been doing. We've had about, I think six kids receive the Holy ghost all through quizzing and just like God has really transformed them. And they're, they're all younger. A majority are um, 
junior quizzers. But yeah, God's really just expanding our ministry. And now we have all four divisions represented. And it's just, it's awesome. He's truly been blessing us. Wow. I'm so thank you for sharing that story. We we didn't we didn't get to uh really I didn't even ask you to tell a story beforehand. So um thanks for sharing that. That's awesome. I'm of so course. glad to hear I'm so glad to hear about the the growth at the cuisine at your church and what it's doing for kids. I'll also brag on their team as well. Their <laughs> beginner team was I think was it tied for fifth place in nationals this year. Yeah. That was that's the best y'all's church has ever done in a national competition, yeah. right? Yeah. Yeah. Like, I'll say this: Annalise is a phenomenal coach, and if anyone needs tips of how to deal and how to coach beginner quizzers, get her number, get her information, <laughs> talk to her. Um, I'll tell a personal story. There's a kid that I saw him quiz. So it's two years ago now. Mm-hmm. Couldn't stay focused for nothing. Like he would get through three questions, and he'd be literally bouncing off the table. This last year, he was able to not only sit there for the entire quiz, but he made such an improvement. He was actually able to interrupt 10-pointers. He was able to comprehend what he was doing. The The turnaround in him was absolutely insane. Any coaches are out there, you need tips, you need help, talk to Annalise. She's amazing. Thank Annalise, you. I have a seven-year-old daughter, and <laughs> uh, I need help. So... I got you. If you're open to moving to Bloomington, Illinois, we can definitely (laughs) use you in in the beginner division here. So just open the door. The Lord leads you. Whatever. (laughs) But thank you. And hey, you know what? There are uh, there are people that are built to be coaches, and then there are people that are built to be beginner coaches. That's a different. That's a different. I am not built to be a beginner coach. (laughs) I have all the respect in the world for you, Annalise. (laughs) Thank you. I, I didn't think I could do it either. I said the one division I wouldn't coach was beginners. <laughs> so, <laughs> yeah, God has a sense of humor. <laughs> well, you know, thank you for doing that because uh, they need coaches too. Yeah. And you, you're obviously a great fit there. So, thank, thank you. you well, all right, guys, this is a great podcast. Uh, we'll be coming back for X Chapter 5 here soon. So, thanks, everybody.